Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. To the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Greetings, conversationalists. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the United States of America. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, I- I'm going to, to tread dangerous ground here. You're going to have to bear with me. There's a method to the madness, I promise. Louis Grizzard, great comedian. My 14-year-old loves listening to Louis Grizzard's stand-up routines. He's been dead now for a while. He was a columnist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, a great Southern comedian. And I have to apologize because I'm going to tell the joke. One of my listeners is the pastor of the church <laughs> that is involved in the joke. So Louis Grizzard from Moreland, Georgia. Uh, And to this day, the Moreland Methodist Church and the Moreland Baptist Church are across the street from each other. And Grizzard was a Methodist, and he would tell jokes, and and the Baptists were the butt of the jokes. And he told this joke one time. It's a great joke. That Moreland, the the churches at the time in, in the 70s, 60s, 70s, they were so poor that the best they could afford was a bicycle for the pastor's. So this is long old joke from the 1960s, folks. Don't don't those of you in Moreland don't don't go heckling your pastors this weekend because this is just just joke from the 1960s. The Moreland Baptist preacher, the Moreland Methodist preacher, they would meet at the local gas station every Sunday, review their sermons, and encourage each other before church. One Sunday. The Methodist preacher pedaled up on the bicycle the church had given him, and the Baptist, he walked up, and the Methodist said, Brother, what happened to your bicycle? The Baptist says, Brother, I believe a member of my congregation has stolen my bicycle. And the Methodist was aghast. And he says, Brother, I don't care what you were planning on preaching today. Let me give you some some advice as an older pastor. You get in that pulpit today, and you preach on hell, fire, and brimstone. You preach on the saving grace of Jesus Christ and the Lord God Almighty, and you preach on the Ten Commandments. And when you get to thou shalt not steal, you bear down on them. They'll get to feeling bad. They'll bring your bicycle back. And the brother said, I'll do it. So the next Sunday comes along and the Methodist preacher pedals up on his bicycle to the gas station and the Baptist preacher pedals up on his bicycle and the Methodist says, Hallelujah, Brother Miracle has occurred. Did you do what I told you to do? Did you preach on hell, fire, and brimstone and the Holy Spirit and the saving grace of Jesus Christ? Did you preach on the Ten Commandments and did you preach thou shalt not steal and somebody brought your bicycle back? And the pastor of First Baptist Moreland says, Brother, not exactly. He says, brother, I did preach on hellfire and brimstone, 
and I preached on the Holy Spirit. I preached on the saving power of Jesus Christ, and I preached on the Ten Commandments. When I got to Thou Shalt Not Commit Adultery, I remember where I left my bicycle. (laughs) I love the joke. There's a reason I say this, and I tell you this joke. A lot of times in this country, uh, we have over years divided ourselves up uh, denominationally. Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterians, Catholics, Orthodox, the add-in Jews, Muslims, Hindus, you name it. We, we've divided ourselves up. And each denomination or inside religions, they look at others bad. Like, for example, I, I grew up Protestant. I grew up Baptist. I'm in a PCA, Presbyterian church. We put the fun in fundamentalism. I can't tell you the number of relatives I have who think that all Catholics go to hell. I, I, I mean this. Some of my very best friends in life are better Christians than me. They're Catholic. And I got relatives and friends in the South who are like, ah, oh, they're a bunch of Mary worshipers. They don't understand them. They don't like the Pope. They, they see it as bad. Uh, some of my, my wife's most ardent prayer warriors for her are Catholics. But the Baptists and the Methodists, uh, the Catholics are something else. So those Episcopalians too, I make jokes about the Episcopalians. We, we divide each other up into denominations and the good ones and the bad ones, the mainline ones, the ones that have left the faith, a lot of Episcopalians. Now you got the United Methodists walking out the door of the PCUSA. We divide ourselves up that way. And we have for generations in this country. And we can make jokes about each other. We can make jokes. I mean, we can all laugh within Protestantism, particularly in the South. The Methodist Church and the Baptist Church are next door to each other. We In the town that I grew up in, in Louisiana, not Dubai, um, the First Baptist Church was right next door to the First Methodist Church, and they were all related to each other. When I was a kid, I was probably 10 or 11 years old, probably 11. My grandmother had a heart attack in the middle of church. And we were sitting in church, uh, and we were singing, Holy, Holy, Holy. And the lady behind me nudged me, and I looked over, and it looked like my grandmother was having a seizure. She had slumped over. It was just me and her. Now, my oldest sister was with her boyfriend, who was uh, my mom's best friend, who I grew up calling her my Aunt Shirley. It was her son was dating my sister, and they were in the Methodist church, except they had skipped to go to the movies. When the 911 call went off, half the Methodist church came over to the Baptist church, and they were all relatives. My grandmother's husband, my grandfather, was in the Methodist church. My grandmother was in the Baptist church. The only time my grandfather ever went to the Baptist church was to date my grandmother. The moment they got married, he promptly started going back to the Methodist church. Can't tell you what he said about the Baptist. It was not polite for radio. But when the Methodist got over there, the preacher then when my grandmother was able to get back to church and monitor next time she had a heart attack in church to please wait for the offering plate to be passed before all the Methodists showed up. And you could have these jokes. The problem is over time, we've kind of shifted as a country. And the jokes are now the Republicans versus the Democrats. But over time, that's shifted. Just as a lot of Protestants more and more see uh, post-Christian faiths as, as out of the faith, as pagan, and then, then you have so many Southerners in particular who see Catholics as bad. In this country now, we see left and right, Democrat, Republican as bad. And they're no longer the butt of jokes so much as they're, they're the monsters in the story. Democrats see this with Republicans. Republicans are the monsters of the story. Republicans, Paul Ryan, they're going to shove grandma off the cliff. Uh, Donald Trump is leading an insurrection against the United States, no matter how unsuccessful it was. 
And I am more and more surrounded by Republican friends who call Democrats evil. And their evil is you pick the policy that you don't like on the Democratic side and you say it's evil. Abortion comes up a lot. Transgenderism comes up a lot. And full disclosure, I agree. But also, we're all sinners. And Democrats see Republicans as evil too. Now, that's a long way around getting to a point. And I realize Start with the joke we can all laugh at, get to the point that no one's going to like. A few weeks ago, I said on this program that we're not a nation in decline, we're a nation being held back, or I wish Republicans at least would talk about it in that way, that we're being held back by the Democrats. We have great potential, but the Democrats have held us back. The Democrats have chosen for us to decline and have put their arms around us that we may not run forward so that other nations can catch up to us. The number of people, I'm still getting angry, angry emails. The number of people who say, but you're wrong, we are a decline. We, we are in decline. I can't believe you can't see we're in decline. I have long said on this program, there is a spiritual problem in this country and there is spiritual decline going on in the country. But a lot of people have taken that to mean across the board, everything is in decline. That the nation has chosen to decline. Not that the Democrats have just handcuffed us so we can't rush forward and the bureaucracy and all to try to let other nations catch up to degrade us for climate change. But no, the entire nation is in decline and this is terrible. I, I, I want to say something here. It is a choice for you to decide that. It is a choice for you to focus on the thing you hate the most instead of the thing you like the most. It is a choice for you to be obsessed with this. And we see where this goes. A 14-year-old boy in July was found dead in the mountains of Colorado, malnourished, 40 pounds underweight when he died, preserved in the snow. His mother and his aunt were found in a tent near where his body was found. They had internalized the decline. They chose to focus on the decline, and the focus on the decline grew their despair. And their despair did not then translate itself as marching in the streets and going to protests and hating the other side. Their despair manifested itself as we need to become preppers, move off the grid and take care of ourselves. And they weren't capable of doing it. And the boy, the mother wanted to save from the decline of society. She killed him and herself and her sister who went to try to help them because the sister didn't believe that they were going to be capable of doing it. The sister went to her death trying to help the mom and the son survive. They embraced the idea of decline so much and internalized it so much they decided to flee. We see this manifest in this way in this country where people saw an election in 2020 that didn't go their way and they concluded only one thing could have happened. It must have been stolen and they bought the apologetics that there's no way Biden could get 80 million votes. No one's ever gotten that before. Pay no attention to population increases in the United States. They believed all the apologetics and to this day, I have people listening right now starting to yell at the radio by me raising this point. They decided to embrace the lie to explain the decline, to display, explain the despair. It 
instead of coming to terms with what actually happened and choosing their life accordingly. And the left does the same thing. The left looks at this and they can't relate. They've chosen to embrace the despair of decline as well. They've chosen actually to make a conscious choice to decline because they believe they must save the planet, that the people are irredeemable, but the planet may save itself. Both sides have concluded decline. They, both sides, have chosen to view that as opposed to just unshackle us and let us run. Whether you choose to do that or not, I think a lot of people willfully misunderstood my point that a Republican candidate could offer people a lot of hope by saying, we can let loose the American generation, let loose the economy. In fact, if we see meaningful improvement, people might not think we're declining. But the Democrats have made the choice to stifle us. Republicans can make the choice to unleash the American economy. It's a choice they got to make. But too many people have chosen to despair because of decline. Too many people have embraced the idea of overall decline of the United States when, by the way, we're still head and shoulders above everyone else. Do you know Europeans have now declined so much in terms of GDP compared to us? that um, we are like head and shoulders above them. The British economy now stands to be equivalent to the economy of the state of Mississippi. The French economy is now equivalent to the economy of Oregon. Like individual European nations are now so far behind us, they can be compared to and are behind most American states. The Chinese economy is doing so much worse than ours now. We're actually doing very good as a society and very few of you feel it because the existential dread of the cultural currents in the nation. And that is a choice you've made to focus on those negative things. The media, of course, highlights those negative things. And that's not to say those negative things aren't there. But where you spend your emotional energy focused, you wind up being led there. My wife tells me when you ride a motorcycle, which she does, if you look in a direction, your motorcycle goes in that direction. And so many Americans on both sides have chosen to look off the cliff. We're headed off the cliff instead of turning their head and looking at the good in each other, loving our neighbor and deciding as a nation, we're going to move past our differences as best we can while still maintaining them because we still choose to believe in America as the best place. There are those, absolutely, on the left, who've chosen to decide America is a terrible place. But you know what? There's a growing number of people on the right who've believed the same thing, and they have chosen to look off the cliff and head in that direction. You've got to decide for yourself. I can't decide for you. Are you going to look off the cliff and go that way, or are you going to look to a better tomorrow and go that way? It's your choice to do it. But I would suggest to you, as long as Biden and Trump are the dominant leaders of both parties, both sides are looking off the cliff instead of choosing a different path forward. Decline is a choice. Don't delude yourself into thinking it's just the Democrats making it. I am a small businessman. The company that I run for my radio show, it's a small business. I've got employees. I don't have HR. You may be in that situation and you may really need HR. Well, you may want to talk to Bambi. When running a business, your employees can create all sorts of interesting situations and they could get you in trouble. What happens when two employees are squabbling? One of them smells bad all the time. What do you do? How do you navigate the rules? With Bambi, you get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 a month. They're available by phone, email, real-time chat. 
Onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance. Your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. Let Bambi handle your employees for you. Their HR autopilot automates important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Listen, you want U.S.-based HR managers who give you experience, expertise, a personal touch you need to make it seem like they're a part of your team. They can cost eighty grand a year, but Bambi starts at $99 a month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Go to Bambi.com right now. Type in Eric Erickson under podcast when you sign up. It'll help you. It'll help your company grow. It'll help you keep peace of mind. It's spelled B-A-M-B-E-E. Bam. B-E-E.com. Bambi.com. Type in Eric Erickson. Well, has the world begun to return to normal for you guys? Football? Well, I don't really want to talk about the LSU game. Uh, congratulations, Uncle Leaf. Uh <laughs> So my uncle Leaf Erickson, yes, Leaf Erickson, my uncle, lives down in Winter Park, Florida. Uh, he's an FSU guy. <sighs> my dad, our side of the Erickson family were LSU people. It did not go well for our side of the family on Sunday night. That game, well, I mean, the first half of the game, it looked like it was going to be a good game. looked like it was going to be a good game. And then Florida State... Florida stated us, and that was not a good thing. But at least the world is coming back to normal. Uh, football is back. Uh, we got preseason, preseason football with a big kickoff. You know, so I, once a year, try to get Charlie and Philip uh, in a room together uh, so that we can kind of future plan and stuff. And I decided this year I'm going to take them to a Monday night football game in Las Vegas next month. Um and we're going to do the show from our affiliate in Las Vegas and meet those guys and take them to a football game, but also like have a real working retreat, which we haven't done since um, one of them decided that uh, he and his wife needed to have a baby. <laughs> All my employees and their kids like cut into my ability to do stuff with them, which is fine. Be fruitful and multiply but also hang out with me and be my friend. Um, but at least football's back. I, I w cooked way too much on Sunday night. It was a lot of fun. Had some good friends over. We watched that. Well, we we mostly watched that game. Towards the end, it was just so awful. It was so awful, but it's good to have college football back. I spent Friday, Saturday, and Sunday watching college football games. It was glorious. I also played a lot of golf, which was fantastic. <laughs> All right, we got to move on. Phillips, Phillips, sending me a note. I'm so sorry about having a kid. <laughs> no, you're not. You got a cute kid who is a Tennessee fan who's never seen them lose yet. Now, Americans for Prosperity, got to tell, tell you about them because they're on a bus tour across America and they're coming to a town near you, perhaps. They want you there. They want you involved. They want you to learn how to be a persuasive advocate for limited government, free markets, and free people, to be able to explain why Bidenomics is so bad for your friends and neighbors in the middle class. Uh, they will turn you into a great conservative warrior 
in this country. They know how to train up activists. They do such a good job. All you have to do is go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. You reach out to Americans for Prosperity. Uh, you, you sign up with them. They've got over 4 million activists around the country, and they're doing their bus tour. You may be able to be a part of it, but better yet, you can learn to make the most effective case to your friends, your neighbors, your state legislators, even your local government that Bidenomics is bad, and together we can reignite the American dream. It's what we need to do as a country. Americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Go sign up with them today. Be part of the conservative movement. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Delighted to have you with me across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, I'm going to hop on to the phones now and talk to Al, who's been waiting patiently. Al, welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. Hey, Mr. Erickson. How you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm all right. If it's okay, I wanted to start off by making two comments real quick. All right. The first comment, have you ever thought about adopting the name Easy E? <laughs> I think that one's been taken already. <laughs> and the second one was just wanted to give you a quick Bible verse. Proverbs right. chapter 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you and your family are going through anything, but I pray and hope and wish you guys don't really go through anything that bad. Well, I appreciate it very much. Thank you. No problem. The question that I had, though, your call screen actually worded it a lot better than I did. But it was, if we can overthrow the government, then why not just overthrow the government instead of accepting what is basically reality or today? Oh, you know, that's, that's, a, oh, Al, that's a good question. Also a, a very deep philosophical question. Uh, thank you for that. That, that gives me something uh, to talk about other than what I wanted to talk about. Cause I didn't really want to talk about the economy cause I didn't want to depress everybody, but let's, let's get to this, Al. Let's, let's begin at the beginning. How about that? In Congress, July 4th, 1776, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We did this before and created what we now have, the United States of America. And Southern states in the 1800s decided they wanted to throw off the United States of America, form a confederation, and, and Lincoln, through means of military might, established the precedent that once in, never out, as far as the states go. So what about the people? Here's the reality. Uh, elections in this country still do matter greatly. One of the things we're going through as a country that I don't think people really appreciate is we're going through a political realignment. And it can be discombobulating to a lot of people. Like, for example, I will be frank and honest with all of you, and you know where I stand on this issue. I, I don't hate Donald Trump. In fact, he's actually a very funny person. I've, I've talked to him a number of times. 
I've met him in person before. I just don't think that Donald Trump makes a great president, better than Biden, perhaps, and arguably on policy. I mean, his policies are better, but I don't think he was very effective. And I know Trump supporters disagree. They look at him as being very effective. They look at him as being very good. But also, I I look at the polling in the race where Donald Trump is so dominant within the Republican primary, and there are so many people within the GOP, he's at 50% or so, you've got about 50% of the GOP that wants to go back to something they somewhat recognize. Part of what the Republicans are going through right now is something the Democrats are going through. It's, It's a realignment, and it's uncomfortable for a lot of people. It's uncomfortable for Donald Trump's supporters to be in a Republican Party with half of the party kind of wishing he would go away. It's uncomfortable for people in the Republican Party who don't like Donald Trump looking his supporters kind of wishing they would go away. It's uncomfortable in the Democratic Party if you're black or Hispanic looking at a bunch of rich white Karens who came in from the Republican Party now trying to take over and dominate the discourse on that side with progressives. It's uncomfortable for those progressives to be in a a party where they think black and Hispanic voters are voting against their cultural interests. It's uncomfortable within politics in America right now unless you're completely surrounded by your tribe. And I try not to be because I try to at least, even if I disagree, see other people's perspective. That gets me hell on my side a lot of times when I try to explain the way someone else sees it. Well, they're evil. It doesn't matter. Well, at least understand their viewpoint. They think you're evil too. And and you get in trouble just trying to empathize and explain things. We're going through a profound realignment in this country. But the thing that still matters in this country is elections. Elections still work, unless you think they were stolen. And there are a lot of people who want you to believe the election was stolen. Democrats did before Republicans. And this is something I don't think the press does honestly. The press does not wish to recognize how Democrats went through their own batch of the election was stolen. They did it in 2000. They did it in 2004. They did it in 2016 with Trump. They blamed the Russians. They blamed Diebold. They blamed Ken Blackwell, the Secretary of State in Ohio in, in 2004. They blamed George Jimmy Bush, Hitler, Halliburton, all their, their pejoratives about George Bush. Uh, they did all these things, and then Republicans did it in 2020, and somehow it was bad and, and awful, and, and they must be condemned and stopped. They just learned from you. They learned by watching you. Remember, well, some of you won't, but if well, I was a kid, it was the, the old drug ad where, where the dad comes in, and he's got the box of drug paraphernalia and the weed, and it's like, son, son, how could you do this? This is dad. I learned it by watching you. So Republicans learned how to challenge elections and claim they were stolen by watching the Democrats and the media. And part of the the frustration and anxiety with Republicans as well right now is they are dealing with the stack deck, and they are. MSNBC, CNN, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, USA Today. The Wall Street Journal is better than most, but still it, it can frustrate me sometimes. You've got the major media outlets, the major cultural institutions are all aligned with the Democrats and share the Democratic talking points. Adam Kinzinger was on CNN the other day attacking Ron DeSantis for not meeting with Joe Biden when all Biden wanted to do was do a climate change lecture in Florida. You had Adam Kinzinger and, I forget who the anchor was, and David Axelrod, and essentially you had three Democrats. And now Kinzinger was an elected Republican and they give him a pass, but I can tell you every time Adam Kinzinger's on television on CNN exactly what he's gonna say. It's that predictable. And it's rarely for the Republicans. 
So you have a political realignment while you have a media monopoly now with the, the Democrats. A lot of people feel frustrated. They, they feel like maybe maybe it's time, uh, maybe it's necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands that have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. Except we still have elections in this country. Not only do we still have elections in this country, we also have the means to amend the Constitution of the United States of America. There actually is an amendment process in the Constitution. It's Article 5 of the Constitution. The Congress, whenever two-thirds of both houses shall deem it necessary, shall propose amendments to this Constitution or on the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the several states, shall call a convention for proposing amendments, which in either case shall be valid to all intents and purposes as part of the Constitution when ratified by the legislatures of three-fourths of the several states or by conventions in three-fourths thereof, as the one or the other mode of ratification may be proposed by the Congress, provided that no amendment which may be made prior to the year 1808 shall in any manner affect the first and fourth clauses of the ninth section of the first, and no state without its consent shall be deprived of equal suffrage in the Senate. You can't get rid of the Senate, but you can make changes to the underlying document. You can do a convention of the states. You can, you can get Congress to amend. You can make amendments. We don't because it's still hard to do. It is hard to amend the Constitution. That, that's just the reality. It's hard to amend the Constitution. It's hard to get things done in this country. And that, by the way, is a feature, not a bug, of the system. It's a feature that it's hard for both sides to make fundamental changes to the government. That's why, frankly, both sides right now run the country through executive order so they don't even have to get things through Congress because the filibuster makes it so hard to get things through the Senate. And that's actually a good thing. It, it makes it easy to reverse. Executive decisions are easy to reverse. It's hard to bind the nation with law. It's harder to amend the Constitution, but ultimately elections still matter. Elections matter at the federal level. Elections matter at the state level. Elections matter at the local level. And you have a lot of people who are engaged. The problem, however, is in the political realignment of this country. We are in a very tribal phase where it's your, tri your tribe or nothing. You, you don't give validity, morality, or the benefit of, of, of common sense or the benefit of compassion or the benefit of just neighborly love to the people not in your tribe. And so you presume that everything they do is evil. Everything. The Democrats, listen, I know that I have listers right now, and, and I have to be honest and include myself in this. When I see the the the, the level of abortion uh, demand by the left, the abortion until the moment of birth, the transgender stuff, I look at this and use the word evil oftentimes myself. But I have to remind myself that uh, the left looks at a lot of positions on my side and says it's evil as well. Uh, now, theirs may be ungrounded from my morality and yours, but they use the evil pejorative as well. Uh, we're all centered 
partners in a fallen world. We got to be careful labeling the other side evil as just in disagreement with us, with our democratic and Republican institutions. But elections are the democratic component of our government. We have Republican institutions. The Senate is a very Republican institution. It's not very democratic. The Senate weighs the states equally, regardless of their size. It's a good institution for cooling out the, the democratic zeal of the House of Representatives, where it's majority makes might. The Supreme Court is a Republican institution that slows things down and provides a check and balance. It's not democratic. We have democratic and Republican institutions. We have democratic processes within the Republican institutions. We still have ways to shape our government. The reason we rebelled against King George and the British was because all avenues had run out. There was no way for us to shape policy. There was no way for us to have a voice. They precluded us from having a voice in Parliament, though we as British subjects should have had a voice. You know, the British would have shut down the revolution and probably preserved their empire far longer than they did had they created in Parliament a means for the various colonies to have representation. Had they allowed within the House of Lords, for example, a delegation of each of their colonial um, regimes to have a voice to shape or within Parliament, within the House of Commons itself, had you been able to send delegates across the sea to Great Britain to sit in Parliament, you probably would have not had the American Revolution, but they precluded it. You, meanwhile, still get to send senators and you, meanwhile, still get to send uh, members of the House. If I could do one thing differently in this country, if I was king for a day and it was all designed just to fix the system, it'd be very easy. Get rid of the direct election of the Senate and go back to the state legislatures appointing the Senate. Antonin Scalia was a big proponent of that idea that the states matter less when the senators are directly elected by the people. Send it back to the states. It would make state legislative elections that much more important. It would. It would restructure the system in a way the founders intended. The states are supposed to matter and the people are supposed to matter. And right now it's just the people matter, not really the states. This would profoundly shake up the government in a way that I think would be a good thing. And people could propose that. You could propose it. You could get the states together. You could have a convention of the states Two-thirds of the states can propose changes to the Constitution, and then three-quarters of the states have to approve. You might as well give it a try. In the meantime, participate in elections. Register to vote. Register your neighbors to vote. Get them to vote by absentee ballot. Get them to vote early. Ensure that they voted. There are ways for us to still proceed. We don't need a revolution in this country. We don't need to dissolve the prior bonds. We just need to be engaged in the process. But while we're engaged in the process, to be tempered by the idea that the other side will one day get power too because that's the way it happens. There's no permanent political majority in this country. And so both sides should be very leery of setting precedents the other side can use. And right now, every side seems to forget the other side will eventually win an election. So be careful what you do when you have power. Greetings. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the United States of America. CNN's polling has just dropped. Donald Trump remains in the lead. There's a question now among, well, Republicans and super PACs of do the other Republicans in the race, do they take on Trump? Do they criticize Trump? I don't know that I know the answer to that. What I do find notable is when you look at the um, when you look at the post debate polling, Ramaswamy 
began to surge and has faded a bit. Nikki Haley has surged. And Ron DeSantis, there's a notable bounce back for him in, in a uh, downward trajectory for Trump. But Trump's still dominant in the race. He's at 53.4% of the nuclear politics average, 14.8% for DeSantis. Now, at the state level, uh, it's a little different. Haley is now tied with DeSantis in New Hampshire. Uh, DeSantis is number two in Iowa. Trump is in the low 40s in Iowa. It's still a race to be had. Regardless of your views on the race, and I, I gotta, I gotta set it that way. Regardless of your views on the race for the presidency, why is Will Hurd still in the race? Why is Larry Elder still in the race? Why is Asa Hutchinson still in the race? Why is Doug Burgum still in the race? Uh, none of those gentlemen is polling above one percent. I mean, you could, you could possibly say Christie and Scott as well, 2.8% for Christie, 2.1% for Scott, but at least um, they're pulling above one. Burgum, Hutchinson, Elder, Hurd, they're, they're not. I don't understand who is the constituency for Larry Elder or Will Hurd. Uh, I, don't, I don't get it. Um, why do they need to be on the debate stage? Now, Hurd's not going to be, and Elder's not going to be on the debate stage. Hutchinson was on the debate stage, and I don't know that he's going to get on the next debate stage. Burgum says he's already qualified for the next debate stage, but he's at uh, five-tenths of 1%. What? It, how do you, you're, you're, you're past Labor Day now. Everything really does matter now. Voters are beginning to engage. Voters are beginning to pay attention. And you're at less than 1% in the national polling, and you're not doing well in the states. With the exception of, of Burgum appears to be doing okay in New Hampshire, he's at 4.5%. He's higher than Nikki Haley in the real clear politics average. But Hutchinson and Hurd, they're still non-starters in New Hampshire. In, in Iowa... Uh, Hutchinson, Elder, Heard, they're at less than a percent. Burgum, at least, is at 2.4% in Iowa. I don't understand the egos of the people that think that they're qualified to run for president. And what did Larry Elder do in California? Larry Elder deprived the Republicans of a potential win in California. If you're intellectually honest about it in the California recall against Gavin Newsom, the Republicans, more likely than not, would have won that race, except Larry Elder sucked all the oxygen out of the room. That's a fact you may not want to like, but it's true. And he lost. He became the guy that Gavin Newsom could run against, and Gavin Newsom never had to confront his own record. And Larry Elder somehow decided to get into the presidential race, and he's not getting traction anywhere. He was threatening to sue Fox News to get on the debate stage. Uh, and then you've got Will Hurd, who goes on MSNBC and attacks the party. Why is Will Hurd in the race? Will Hurd doesn't even act like he thinks he's running for president at this point. I'm not sure why the pollsters are giving him the due, and he's not going to make the debate stage. And Asa Hutchinson, uh, he, he did not help himself at all on the debate stage. He's probably not going to qualify for the next debate stage, and he complains that he's got to actually hand, glad hand voters in Iowa as opposed to talk about the big issues. Um, you're supposed to glad hand the voters in Iowa. Complaining about the process doesn't doesn't matter, of course, one could say, I'm doing the same. I just don't understand why these people think when they look in the mirror, they have a shot with the money and the polling. They don't. Get out. It's time to consolidate the race. We're past Labor Day. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.